morning, church. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for being here today. What a great time of worship. Boy, those lyrics to that song are just incredibly powerful, aren't they? Especially whenever you know the background to the song. You know the circumstances under which they were written. And it really got me to thinking this week as as we were planning the worship service and just thinking about things in my own life and things that, that our family struggles with and we're going through and and things I see happening in the lives of those of you who are believers here at EBC, it got me thinking, and I just wanted to really just begin this morning by just very directly and just very pointedly asking this question to you. Is it really well with your soul? I mean, those are words that for some are incredibly difficult to sing, if we're honest. There are some of you this morning, because what it really is about is it's a song that's about peace, It's a song that is about finding peace no matter what our circumstances may be. It's not a song about a plastic kind of smile, a fake smile, or pretending like things aren't happening in your life. But it's a song about peace, a peace that we know Paul writes about in Philippians that that transcends all human understanding. It doesn't make sense to others around you. I mean, I really want you to think about that question. Is it, is it well with your soul? And some of you would just be honest and say, you know what, Bart, it's really not right now. I mean, just, just being perfectly honest, I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm finding those words to that song very difficult for me to sing. Or if I am singing them, being honest, I'm going through the motions. Um, it's not really well with my soul. And what I would tell you this morning is I'm so glad you're here. And that you are so welcome here. And and I want you to know that if that is the way that you're feeling, I want you to know this. It's okay. That this is a place where you can wrestle with that and you can grapple with that with with transparency and authenticity. And and we want to help you as your pastors and as, as your church come alongside you in your time of maybe grief and hardship. Or for some of you, it's sorrow that you're wrestling with and just come alongside you and help you plant your roots just even deeper so in Jesus Christ and in the hope of the gospel as we even saw that Spafford went to the gospel as as he was talking about this hardship that he had experienced, his hope was in the gospel and we want to point you to that. We don't want to just give you words that pretend that we're just going to fix whatever it is that you're dealing with and that we're going to be able to just make everything better and just kind of patch you up and send you on your way. That's really not the point of that. That's not the point of this series. But it's so obvious that Spafford had something in his life that anchored him and anchored his soul so incredibly deeply as he went through what we would even call, and I don't really don't know anything else to call it, but a Job-like experience. A man who lost everything, who lost everything financially within a day, who dealt with the loss and was still grieving the loss of a child, which I cannot even begin to fathom. And then seeking some peace and healing for his family, sends his family on ahead of him to England as they were going to be vacationing. And you saw the story. I can't even imagine the grief that this man must have been dealing with. And maybe some of the guilt that he felt in sending them on along without him and not being there for his daughters as as they drowned without him being in their presence. And, and who knows, he perhaps would have drowned as well. And so he comes to this place of dealing with this Job-like experience and what some would be maybe uh, coming to this place of, and even his own church, if you'll study more in his story, you'll find 
that the church that he was a part of began to question whether or not he had not done something to cause and bring all of this upon himself, inflicting even more pain, which sometimes we as believers are very good at doing, right? We shoot our own wounded. You've heard it said that way before. Was he a man that loved God? I think that there's no question about that. If you know his story, you also know that he was deeply connected with one of the greatest evangelists that's ever lived in, in, in really the modern era, a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Moody was a man who, who God used to bring spiritual awakening to America. He also was used to bring a spiritual awakening in places all throughout Europe, Europe where, where hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And so it's not a matter of whether or not he loved God because he was a man that I would even say this, as you look at his life and you see his relationship with God was something that brought about this kind of peace where he could write the lyrics, it's well with my soul. How does one do that? How does one get to that place whenever you go through this kind of tragic situation in your life and you go through this amount of suffering and this amount of, of, of loss? Spafford writes these words that Jesus offers us, and you know our our Bible study verse, our Bible memory verse over the coming weeks is in John 16, 33, and we recited it earlier. And Jesus said, I have told you all of these things. And he was talking to his disciples, and he was sharing with them all the hardships that they would be facing by being a follower of his, that they would lose lives, that they would lose their families, they would lose everything financially. By following Christ, it would actually get more difficult for them. And what we find is Jesus said, I'm telling you all these things, so that in me, you may have, and what does he say, church? Peace. You may have something that nobody can explain. And then he very clearly says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. And because here's the deal, in this world, you will have trials. You will have sorrow. Now, the key is this world. In this world, you're going to go through some stuff. But then he says, and he gives us perspective, but take heart. He says, because I've overcome the world. Okay, so it's not just about what's happening here in this world. Now, earlier this week, I was having lunch with my dad, and we try to get together once a week, and uh, most weeks that happens. It's a commitment that we have as we, as, as we just really value one another's relationship, and I speak into his life, and he speaks more into my life, which is what I want and what I need. I'm at the place where I have a great relationship with my dad, and I'm very thankful for a godly dad that loves the Lord. He's a part of our church, and... Uh, and so we have a unique relationship. And so we spend that time together. And we were having lunch at Chick-fil-A this week. And I, I was just, you know, kind of grappling with some things this week. And I was struggling some with what I'd be even be saying today, some of the things that I was struggling with, and just trying to be sure that I don't water things down or that I don't pretend like things are okay when they're not. And we were just talking about life. And, and, and we have that kind of relationship. And I was just asking him questions about some things that I'd watched he and my mother go through um, as I grew up in their home, and I watched some, some terrible suffering at different times, some terrible loss. My dad uh, had a brother that was exactly one year older than him. They share the same birthday. They're on the same, they were born on the exact same day, one year apart, um, and, and uh, they were like twins. Uh, they were like, I mean, they were brothers. They were best friends growing up together. Sure, they had their moments, as any siblings do, but they were incredibly close. My uncle was a deputy sheriff for the Tarrant County uh, Sheriff's Department here, 
and in 1986, I was 16 years old when this happened. In 1986, my uncle, who stopped for a routine kind of check on, on the, he was going to serve a warrant. He stopped to make a routine check on someone whose hood was up. Something happened at that place. The hood slammed down, and there was a group of, of really gangbangers that were in that car. They shot him, and they killed him. And my father lost his very best friend and his brother. When I was 16 years old, I was about my son's age when I watched my mom and dad go through that tragedy. That same year, my dad's other best friend, who was his brother-in-law, died of leukemia. And he had been fighting that battle for five or six years. All within a one-year period, there was that amount of loss. And I watched my mom and dad suffer through that. They were also going through the devastation of a loss of a business and financial hardship. And it was like all of this stuff was piling on them. And I just was talking with him about that. And he was also just has been very key in my healing and the loss of my brother-in-law and what that has meant in my life. And, and just really coming alongside me and helping me to grieve that in a proper kind of way. And uh, I was just saying, Dad, how did you deal with that? What was that like? I watched you and Mom deal with that. I know there's a lot of hurt. And he said this. He said, Bart, you know, it's the, fi- the things like this, the biggest and most devastating things that we faced in our lives were not things that we planned for. You didn't really see him coming. He said this. He said, and this is kind of Pat Howell speaker, right? This is what my dad's like. He says, it's like they just kind of sneak up on you and just punch you, hit you right in the face. They hit you right in the mouth. You never saw them coming. It's a sucker punch. And that's what some of you have experienced in your life. And if you haven't, you will. Because life is hard. It's not just when it gets hard, because life in this world is hard. We talked about it last week because of the brokenness in this world and the sin that is in this world. It has this, this, this ripple effect that affects everyone, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you're still affected by hardship. We still go through difficulty. And that's why I believe that it is so imperative that as your pastors, we help to develop within you a proper theology of pain and suffering in your life. It's not that we rejoice about that in your life, but it's that we know you're going to face it. We know you're going to go through it. We know there is an immense amount of false teaching about it. And we want to be certain that we ground you in the gospel, that we ground you in your faith so that not when, but if, or excuse me, not if, but when you go through it, you are prepared. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to, to wonder so much why, because we honestly, as we discussed last week, we don't always get the answer to that question. We don't, know, we don't always know the answer specifically to that. What we want to see is that life, as it is hard for you, and as you are experiencing that, that you're like what Jeremiah describes in chapter 17. He writes this in verse 7, and he says this, and it's so powerful. He says, but blessed are those who do what? Say it with me, church. They do what? They trust in the Lord. And they have made the Lord their, say it with me, their what? Their hope and confidence. They are like trees. This is powerful. That's planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. And such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Bottom line is, is there's going to be seasons of drought in your life. There are going to be dry spells. There are going to be hardships. There are going to be difficulties. But look, even though you go through the drought, their leaves do what? Their leaves stay green. And they never stop producing 
fruit. What kind of fruit? We know Scripture speaks of fruit in our lives. And it speaks of love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, they're the kind of trees that although they go through the drought, their roots are deep enough and they are anchored so deeply and they are so well watered in the depth of that river of life that Jesus gives us that when the drought comes, and it will come, they never stop producing fruit. Fruit like what Spafford writes about, a peace in his hardship and his grief, a, a kind of fruit that keeps on producing even still today. We sing that song, and for some of you, it ministers so greatly to you. When you hear that, it's a fruit that goes on and on, and it continues to produce in your lives. And what I am just convinced of and what I see is that if a man like Spafford can go through a Job-like experience and not have to pretend that it didn't happen or pretend that he's not hurting or pretend that there's not difficulty going on in his life, because I don't believe that he did that, but he was so deeply rooted in his faith and such a deeply just trust in who God was and in his character. And I'm not saying that he didn't go through periods of shock and turmoil and even struggle, but what we see is that if Spafford and others that we know of have gone through things like this, what I want to say to you is if you're going through something, you are and you are in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this, and I don't want to just water it down for you. I don't want to blow smoke in your direction. I want to tell you this. If you are in Jesus Christ, listen, you're going to get through this. You are going to make it. It may not feel like it right now. You may not get all the answers that you want right now. It may not work out exactly the way that maybe you're figuring it out and you're kind of planning for it to happen. But there is going to be pain and sorrow in your life. But I want you to know that it's only for a season as well. That it's a season. And it may be for some of you, you're like, man, this is the longest season I've ever been in. But because of the gospel message of Jesus, which is what he pointed to, we actually have a greater hope. That there's more that's happening in our lives than just what we can see right now. When we broke the ice last week, when we said that, look, it's the, the rain rains, Jesus said, on the righteous and the unrighteous. Good things happen to bad people all the time, and that's hard for us to deal with. And yet at the same time, bad things seem to happen to good folks that love the Lord, and it happens to them all the time. It's not that you're not going to go through things because you will. We all go through losses in our lives. In fact, we're losing something every single day in some kind of way. We're all dealing with different kinds of losses. And therefore, because you're going to deal with it, it is so important that you learn how to deal with it in a healthy kind of manner. What many of us will want to do is we'll want to ignore. Some of us will want to suppress some of us will want to maybe project onto others in a certain kind of way. But what we want to begin to do is begin to deal with it in a healthy kind of manner. There are going to be some things that as you get sucker punched in life that you're going to experience. They're what are called phases of grief. And again, no matter what the kind of loss may be, it could be a loss of, of a loved one. It could be a loss of a job, a loss of a friendship, a loss of respect, a loss of reputation. It could be all kinds of losses is what we established last week. I want to give some credit this morning to Pastor Rick Warren for talking so openly of these last few months about the incredible loss that he and his wife Kay have been through. As we shared with you back in April when this happened, Pastor Rick is a, a pastor of a church in California called Saddleback. 
church, and he is one of the most well-known pastors in America. He's someone that I greatly respect. He's someone that I've learned a lot from, and, uh, but uh, he certainly has not been exempt from pain in his life. He and his wife, Kay, lost their 27-year-old son back on April 7th of this year when their son, Matthew, who is 27 years old, had battled mental illness all of his life. And they had prayed for him. He had the best doctors. They had the best medications for him. He had thousands of people that were praying for him. People all across America were joining in prayer for this young man. But, but one day on April 7th of this year, he took his own life. And now Pastor Rick and, and Kay have been left dealing with the aftermath and the rest of their family been dealing with an enormous amount of grief. Grief that I can't even begin to just, I can't even fathom what they are going through and what they've been through and will continue to go through. One of the things that I've appreciated so much is, is that in the midst of this grief, they have been very open about their grief. They have let God use it in a number of different ways, and they've shared very openly about some of the struggles, about some of the anger, about dealing with some of the whys that they're battling with, and, 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 and the, the prayer that they have been praying for healing for Matthew, and it didn't happen, and, and dealing with some of those kinds of things. And so Pastor Rick had made a vow, along with his wife Kay, that they would use this enormous pain in their life to be a ministry to people and to continue to allow God to bring glory to His name, even as they continue to grieve. And so he began to talk with his church about some phases of loss, and I want to share some of those with you in the coming weeks and as we continue in our series, When Life Gets Hard. And here are some of these phases that we will discuss and that we need to be sure that you understand and that you have a grip on these phases. The first one is called shock. This is whenever you get that sucker punch from life. And you weren't ready for it. And you didn't see it coming. And next, sorrow begins to happen in your life. And grief begins to take hold within you. Next is what's called struggle. And struggle is where your frustration and your anger begins to manifest. And you may be angry with people around you. You may actually get angry with yourself, which leads to depression. You may get angry with God and not understand why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. We go from shock to sorrow to struggle, and sometimes it comes all out of order. There's not a certain progression, but shock is often the first thing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But, but Pastor Rick is going to go further than that. One of the things that he does is he doesn't just stop there because there's very little hope in that. He said what he's discovering in his own life is that he moves from shock and sorrow and struggle, and there's a next place that we're going to begin to take you to. It's a place called surrender. And then there is a place called sanctification. And what sanctification is, is where God begins to work in your life and to redeem some of the losses that you have experienced. And, and then that leads us to next, it leads us to ministry, which is service. Which ultimately is what God wants to do. And Pastor Rick is modeling this before his church. Is There's a great deal of grief that they are dealing with, not only in their own life, but their whole church grieves with them this loss. Matthew grew up in that church. And so many of them are heartbroken, and he is dealing with it head on, and it's something that I have felt led for the last couple of years to do with you, is to be sure that you are rooted and deeply rooted in your faith enough that when you go through things that you are going to be able to say, it is well with my soul. It doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean that, that, that you're glad about it. It doesn't mean you have to walk around smiling about it. 
but you as well. And you're at peace. He talks about the service, and we will move towards that in the coming weeks. Many of you are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Stages of Grief. That's a more familiar thing for us that we are probably, many of you have read and have had in textbooks where it's denial and isolation and anger. And then we get into bargaining and we get into depression. And then what do we do? We get to a place of acceptance. And there are definitely great things to be learned from that. I'm not knocking those things, but I find that Pastor Rick's expression of this is, is, is even in our darkest hours, we serve a God who is all-powerful enough to redeem even the darkest things that happen in our lives. And that's what he talks about, and that's what I want to talk about. The world is broken, and, and we discussed this last week. Catastrophes and de- disasters do happen in our lives and they sneak up on us. And as, as wise as I believe my dad is, my dad didn't come up with that, okay? Uh, look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12 has to say. Solomon wrote this. He said, people can never predict when hard times might come. You think you see them coming sometimes, but then, then it's the one that you just don't see coming. Like fish in a net or birds in a snare, people are often caught by, what does it say, church? Read with me out loud. By what? By sudden tragedy. Even those that love God, right? And so our first reaction when we're hit with the rogue wind that kind of knocks us over, when we're sucker punched, our first reaction is this shock. It's this almost, we're just, we don't even know really how to respond And there are so many biblical examples of this that we don't have time to get into today. But I find so many of the prophets of God, especially in the Old Testament, that were so open and transparent about the hurt that they were dealing with, would say things like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30. He says, a horrible, and he says this, and shocking thing has happened to me. Ezekiel uh, says in chapter 3, verse 15, I sat for seven days shocked, he says, and stunned, overwhelmed, he says. And that's how some of you might feel when things happen. David wrote in Psalm 143, he says, I'm in total darkness as someone long dead. My heart is heavy. And then the way he describes it is this. I even feel numb all over. You ever felt that? Like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how I feel. I'm so upset right now, I can't even really put my feelings into words. That's what David was saying. And right now, everyone that's listening to me in all three services that we've had today, um, and those that will listen online in the coming days and in the weeks, and sometimes people listen months and years later, all of those of you who will listen one day, you're going to be in one of three places. You either are going to know somebody who is in a crisis right now, Many of you right now know someone that you're thinking of right now that is going through one of the hardest times of their lives. You are either going to be that person that is in the midst of this hardship in your life. And we even said it earlier this year when we were in our series on Moses where you're in that wilderness experience and you don't know how things are going to work out. Or you don't realize it, but you're getting ready to go into one of those times. Because life just gets hard at certain times and we never see it coming. You may be headed into a crisis that you're not prepared for. It could be a financial uh, crisis or you where you get laid off. And, and there's one of the things that my dad had even told me. And he said, it's, I don't even really know how to say this. He said, it almost sounds wrong for me to say this. But whenever I lost my job, 
And I remember when he went through this. I never saw it coming, he said. When I lost my job, he said it was nearly as traumatic, and he said I would even say it was as traumatic as losing a loved one. He said it was that traumatic for me, and that's, that's maybe the case more so oftentimes for men because we're more prone to, to make our identity in what we do. And he said my identity was completely stripped away from me. And I didn't even know what to do. And I remember whenever this happened in his life, for some of you it could be the relational crisis where somebody that you was counting on is walked out of your life and, and you're just going, man, I just don't even know what to do right now. I don't even know how to respond. So what I want to do just for the rest of this time is just kind of just acknowledge that this is going to be for all of you. Whether it's just the friend you've got, you can take some notes or whether it's you, or whether it will be you, and it will be at some point in your life. So I want to start first with how do you help a friend whenever that person that you love is in some kind of need? What do we do whenever we see a person that's in a crisis? What are we as a believer called to do? What is it, how can we respond to this? And, 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 and you're going to know some friends that are either in that now or going to be in that at some point. And I was talking to my friend Rick this week, and, and I just kind of felt on Tuesday like the Lord just kind of quickened my spirit to reach out to him and just see what's going on in his life. So uh, I just uh, I knew that his family had been going through some difficulties and some challenges. And so I just shot him a text and just said, man, how are you doing, bro? I just am thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. What's going on? And I just maybe expected a little text back, but I got a, I got a text back, but it said, can you talk right now? <laughs> And then, so I was like, yeah, I, I, let, me get, let me get to a place where I can visit with you. And so I called him up, and we got on the phone, and he just began sharing with some of the struggles that he was having. And it was so interesting because, and I shared this with our staff this week, on Monday, I don't even really know what was going on. It could be that this series has brought up some grief that I'm still processing and still dealing with. I don't know. But on Monday, I was really feeling low. I was feeling just really about as low as I have for some time. And so I was kind of struggling with that on Monday. But on Tuesday, I decided to reach out. And so I reached out, and Rick started sharing some of these things that he was battling with. And we were both kind of talking about it and how sometimes just the storm cloud just seems like it's chasing you. You ever feel like that? Like that dark cloud is just like on your tail, and you can't get rid of it? Am I the only one that experiences this? Man, I hate that cloud, okay? And, uh, and, and the cloud will come after you, and that's what we were both feeling like. He said, man, I can't even pinpoint why I'm feeling kind of the way that I'm feeling today. And I said, dude, you're not going to believe this. That's exactly how I was feeling yesterday. I said, and I'm still kind of working through it today. It's neat how God puts people together at just the right time, right? To minister to people. And he said, Bart, I was in a life group this morning, uh, Tuesday morning. It's a men's group. And I sat in that group and I listened as I was kind of struggling with just some personal things. He said, I listened to every one of those men as this group has really gotten close. Every one of those men in that group were sharing something that was going on in their life. And it was all something that was hard. It was all a difficult thing that they were dealing with. And he said, what hurt my heart more than anything, I didn't even need to say anything about my stuff, was hearing all those men that were going through all those hardships. They were actually opening up about it. And he said, man, I just, I just wanted to fix things. I wanted to, I, I didn't quite know what to do. And how do, you, how do you be a friend to somebody who's going through something like that? Well, guys, that's exactly why we started Eagles View 13 and a half years ago is we want to be a church 
that comes alongside the brokenhearted. We want to be a church that is here for those that are struggling and, and those that are hurting and in pain. How do you respond whenever someone's going through hardship in their life? Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to this church, this is what he says, and I want you to read it with me out loud. Say it with me and participate. He says, share in each other's what? Burdens. And in this way, do what? Obey the law of Christ. So you're to do what with others' burdens? You're to share, which means this. We share with them, which means we need to be open about them. We don't just hide them. We don't just keep everything to ourselves. We're in relationship with other people. And when we find out about these things, we share in their losses. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. That's what Paul said. When you share in each other's burdens, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to learn how to take that shock that's in others' lives or maybe in our own lives and even turn it into service for others. One of the things that I noticed about Spafford's story that I really, again, was just touched by, and it's real easy to miss this part of the story because you focus so much on his loss. But one of the things that I noticed was after he lost all of his finances and all of his finances were wrecked, when he lost all of that, did you notice that it said that he worked really hard at not only rebuilding things for his own family, but he saw all of the brokenness of the people that were all around him in Chicago. And there was homelessness, and there, was people, there were people that were impoverished, and, and he worked really hard not only at ministering to his own family, but he looked outward and began to minister to people around him. And I want you to know that there's where, there's where healing often comes. As we begin to look beyond our own pain and we start stepping into the lives of others and we share in their burdens. And, and so I, I want to I just point that to you that we see this in his life. And as I've looked back on, on the years where our family has experienced loss, I look back on these past couple of years. I look at my mom and dad's life and I see the things that they experienced when they went through what they went through. I've watched some of you go through some things that are just unimaginable when it, whenever it comes to pain and, and sorrow in your life. There's some things that I have observed that, that you can begin to practically do for those who are struggling right now. If you're not the one in pain, and even if you are, this is one of the ways to begin to work through your pain, is this. When your friend is in shock, here's some things to write down. I encourage you, very practical things that you take away today. When your friend is hurting, when your friend is in shock, here is what you can do. First of all, you show up. You show up in their life. You don't stand on the sidelines. You don't wait around for an invitation. You just show up. Now, one of the things that I've seen is I've seen a lot of pain as a pastor. I've seen a lot of pain in people's lives. And one of the things that if I could just be really honest with you is I've watched people who have lost children, who have lost their marriages, who have lost financial things, and I've been kind of really deeply involved in that. Can I just be really honest with you about something? Most of the time, I don't know what to say. I really don't. What I'm discovering there's nothing to be said at that moment. Most of the time, I don't know what to say. 
over the years of ministry, what I've learned is that a lot of times you really, you don't have to say anything. What's really important, though, is that you show up, and this is the principle that, that I don't know that I coined this, but I thought of this earlier this week. Someone else may have it somewhere, but, but this is the principle that I'm learning more and more is that you show up and you shut up. Because oftentimes we end up saying things that we regret, and sometimes we inflict more pain upon those who are going through their hardship when we start trying to put all the pieces together for them and start trying to fix their problems or start trying to fix them or whatever, that's really not what they want and that's really not what they need. What they need is a ministry of presence. They need you to be there. They need you to show up. They need you to step in. And you don't have to wait on an invitation for that. You just show up. You remember the story of Job? And, and again, last week we really didn't get into Job, but today, just for a moment, I want to touch on him. When we talk about suffering and we talk about hurt, he's kind of the poster child that we think of, right? Whenever we think of that scripturally. But last week I showed you that it's, it's every book of the Bible is filled with this. It's not just the book of Job. There are so many that, that, are, that suffered and lost and, and still do. And, but Job, do you remember how Job lost everything really in a day? He lost all of his finances that he had built up that God had blessed him with. He lost all of his children in this day to terrible tragedy that happened. And, and the only thing that he was left with was a wife who was also grieving deeply that was very angry. And I was thinking sometimes she kind, she kind of gets the short end of the stick there and we kind of look at her like, how could you do that to Job? You know, I was thinking this week she was very angry because she was in as much grief as he was. She lost as much as he did. And she lost children and she lost and she was suffering and the mentality that was often prominent in that day and age was that you must have done something to bring this on yourself. And so she said to Job, as you know the story, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? So there's a lot of pain right there, right? A lot of pain in Job chapter 2, verse 11. What we find is that that when he was in his deepest point of grief and he would soon begin to lose even his health. And we find this in Job 2.11. It says this, that when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and what did they do? They traveled, which would indicate they did what? They went to him. They went to him. They didn't wait for an invitation. They traveled from their homes to do what? Say it with me, church, to comfort and console, to be there, just to be in presence with him. When they heard their friend was in trouble, that he had lost it all, they heard about his pain, they went to him. Their presence was needed. He needs our support, and that's what friends do. You've heard it said this way, it's cliche, but it's so true, is that when everyone else walks out, that's when the friend walks in. That's when the friend remains loyal. That's when the friend steps in at the hardest moment in a person's life. I remember just thinking back on our loss and most recently, and there's been a number of different losses because I shared some of those with you last week. There have been losses of friendship. There have been losses, you know, and struggles financially in our lives. There have been struggles of loss of loved ones. There was a struggle when we had a loss of a miscarriage. 
There were, there's all, been, all kinds of loss, but most recently, a loss of Dan. The loss of Dan, there were people that just showed up for Linda and her children. And that was just the most powerful statement that could be made, was just showing up. And so many were so awesome in ministry to, to their family and to our family as we grieve with them, as we grieve for them. And they just, they just needed that. We needed that, and they just, we look at Job's situation, and they just set out, and they went to them, and, and I think back on, on when my dad went through that job loss, I think back of when that happened, I was in my early 20s, I believe, and he was going through this, and it was a devastating thing for him, and I remember when I showed up at the house, going over to console and be with my dad, I remember there were two men that he was friends with, that had been friends with him for a long time, and they were there. And, you know, I don't remember a word they said because I don't think much was said, but I will never forget their presence and what that meant to my dad and what it even meant to me. Knowing that he was loved, knowing that our family was loved. When you are in deep, deep pain, you typically don't need words. You don't need words. What you often need is you need touch. You need support by just presence. You say, well, I don't, I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything. You need to, you need to learn this as this is something that God has really had to teach me a lot over these last few years. When I was going through a period of burnout in my spiritual walk and in a period of burnout as a pastor, this is one of the things that God taught me and humbled me in. And this is a hard lesson and it was a hard one for me to learn. I am not the Messiah. And I cannot fix everything for everybody. And I felt so much of so much of the loss that was happening in people's lives and I felt like I needed to be able to fix all those things and I just couldn't and I I was so tired and I was so burned out because I I just couldn't fix what was happening around me but you are not the Messiah. Only Jesus is. Only He is the one who can touch their soul in the place that needs it. What they need more than anything is your presence. I remember when we went through the loss of Dan, I remember my friend, Pastor Randy, showing up. Not as Pastor Randy that day. Not as a fellow pastor. He just showed up as Randy. And that's what I needed. He just showed up that day. And I just was able to express to him very honestly how I was feeling. I remember as he lost his dad not long ago that I was able to be there for him in that capacity. Why? Because we're doing life together. We don't just work together. We love each other. We serve together. And, we, and we, our families love one another and we want to be friends to one another. I remember him showing up and just, just being there. So many of you did the same. I remember Mark McAllister. Mark has since moved recently, but Mark also showed up that day. And I remember just being there with Mark. And Mark and I wept together because Dan was as much a friend to Mark as he ever was to me. And we used to spend time, a lot of time together, uh, Dan and Mark and I, and some of you might go along and Luke would go and we would go to, we would go to football games together. And that was a very precious time that we had. And now there was this this hole that was going to be there in our circle of friendship that we were dealing with. 
And so we just, we just were there, and, 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 and they were so important by just being there. And, and by the way, if you'll study Job's life, what you'll find is his friends did great when they first showed up, and they shut up, but it was when they started trying to figure things out in Job's life and begin to get to the root of maybe why all of this was happening, and they started opening their mouths. Do you know what they did? They made things worse. And they hurt him even more deeply. Here's another thing for you to do for your friend who's in pain. You don't just show up and shut up. You share in their pain with them. You share in that with them. And this is what Job's friends did. Look at verse 12. It says, when they saw Job, when they saw him from a distance, they scarcely even recognized him. He was going through so much grief. He was going through so much sorrow. He was so sick at this point. It says they didn't even hardly recognize him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their what? Grief. Now, I was thinking, I was so glad that whenever Randy and Mark showed up that day that they didn't like rip their shirts open or anything, that would have added to my grief probably on that day, okay? And they didn't rub dirt all over themselves. I'd have been like, dude, y'all are messed up, okay? But this was a Middle Eastern custom that really shared in the grief of others. It shows that I am in sorrow with you. You're not alone in this. We feel this with you. We're not here to fix it, but we're with you in this. Look at verse 13, and this is really just powerful. It says, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. What is that? That's presence. They were there with him. They blocked time out to be with him. And look at this. And no one said a word to Job. That's the best thing they ever did. Why? For they saw that his suffering was too great for words. That's the best thing they did was they walked in as others walked out in his life. The greater the grief, oftentimes the fewer the words that are needed. And we just need to be quiet. And so we not only share in the pain and we show up when others are going through hardship, but here's the third thing for your friend is you take the initiative. You don't wait for them to ask you. When you know somebody around you, Christian, is struggling and you know they're going through hardship, my vision for our church, our vision for this church is that we are deeply involved in the lives of others, is that we reach out, is that we take the initiative. What that's going to require is you taking some risks. It's going to require you, you stepping up and you taking some risk and you getting involved in someone's life. Look at what Proverbs says. It says, do not withhold good. He says in Proverbs 3, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to do what? Help. To step up. To do some things that are practical. You say, what can I do? Here are practical things that you can begin to do in the lives of people that are suffering and that are going through hardship. You can run errands for them. You can offer to babysit. If they're married and they're grieving something and maybe they have children or small children, a lot of times they're never even given proper time to grieve because they're dealing with their kids and they're trying. So maybe you could babysit for a while, watch them so they could go out and be a couple together and share in that grief together and mourn together. You can bring meals. You can mow their yard. You can help with their laundry. You can do all kinds of things that are practical. As a side note, one of the things that, again, I'm learning 
not to do this because I've been guilty of doing this and I have to watch this is what we will do with good intentions is when we know someone's going through something, we'll say something like this. Hey, call me if you need anything. And it's good intention. It's a good intention thing. But here is the reality. Probably 95% of the people that you're going to say that to will never call you and ask for help. Because we just don't do that. Either we're too in shock and we still don't even know what we need, or we just don't know what to say. In some cases, if we're being honest, it could be that there's some pride there and we just don't want to admit that we have need. And so we don't really know what to say. And so what we end up doing when we say, hey, you call me, what you're doing is you're putting the work back on them. No, you take the initiative. You keep reaching out. You may keep trying to minister to them and in and, and different ways, and, it, and, and they may be like, hey, we're, we're actually, we're okay. You keep being persistent and saying, I'm here for you. Hey, I'm going to the store today, and I, we're getting milk. Can I drop some by for you? Do you need that? You start offering suggestions of things that you can do to reach out. It's so easy in our age of technology for you to be able to do this today through text and through calls and, and, and through when God just puts somebody on your mind. What this is going to require is that you are in tune with the Holy Spirit and that as you are praying for that person, you're asking God to begin to show you things that you can specifically do in that person's life that would be a blessing to them. What I'm saying is, I mean, you can do all kinds of things. You don't even have to, you don't even have to let them know that it's you. You could send them a, a gift card to a restaurant anonymously. You can send them. One of the nice things that someone did for us that blessed us so much was they, they got us a gift card to the movies, and they gave it to us, and they said, we're betting you, probably, you guys probably just all of your family. This was the Howells and the Smiths. They got enough for us to be able to go to the movies. They said, why don't you just take everybody out, and y'all just go to the movies. We're betting that you guys just need a little time just to relax a little bit. And we did that, and that was such a blessing. Those are just such practical things that I believe that we can do in taking the initiative. By the way, if you do, and I just share this with you, if you do a meal for somebody, and those are awesome things that we do here at EDC, but one of the things that I would suggest to make it easier on that person that you're doing the meal for is when you prepare a meal for them, don't put it in something that you expect to get back. Because oftentimes... They're not thinking about that, and they don't need to be doing the work of getting everybody's stuff back, okay? That's a nice gesture on your part, but put it in something they can either have or something that you don't care about that you never get back. It's just a blessing to be able to give it and just say, I hope this blesses you and never have to expect to get it back, okay? Just a little something practically that I'm learning here. So that's some ways that you begin helping people who are in need. Now, there's another group of you this morning. And the group of you this morning is that you are the one that is in need. You are the one that is struggling, and you are the one that is hurting. And you've been through a lot, and you're going through a lot. So what do you do when you're the one that's in shock? Well, first of all, you cry out to God. And I know that sounds so, maybe just, just really so simple, but this is where you start is that you start by really being honest and transparent with God and telling Him how you really feel. Psalms 50, 15, David writes, Then call on me when you are in trouble. The Lord says this to him. And I will rescue you. And you will give me glory. When you call on God in your time of need, you're declaring your dependence upon God, and it brings God honor. It brings Him glory. 
Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 2.19. He says, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches and pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. He says, lift your hands to him. What is he talking about in the night? Well, oftentimes when you are in grief and you are struggling and you are shocked by what's going on, we oftentimes don't sleep well. So what he says in those times is you begin talking to God in those times. And you start praying to him. And if you're angry, you tell him you're angry. And if you're hurting, you tell him that you're hurting. If you're struggling, you tell him what you're dealing with. God can handle it. He wants you to begin the process of dialogue with him. And so you cry out to God. You pray and you give your heart to God in the midst of this. And here's another thing. And this is one of the most difficult things for those of us who are in grief and who are shocked. When we're struggling with this, this is one of the most difficult things is you let others help you. Is that you begin to let others step in. Proverbs 17 says this, that a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to do what? Help in time of, what does it say, church? Need. That that's what we're, that's what we're made for. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are born for adversity. We need each other. We need to be able to step in. So sometimes people are, are so paralyzed in their fear of what to say or do and and, and, and a lot of times, you know, they won't step in because of that. So you take the initiative. And when they actually begin to take the initiative, those of you that are hurting, that's your cue to begin to let people minister. That you actually humble yourself enough to let people begin to minister to you. One of the things that I am prone to do whenever I begin struggling, and that many of you, it's kind of our natural reaction and our natural response to grief and to struggle and to frustration is we begin to isolate and we begin to withdraw. Why? Okay, we went through the job loss. We don't want to talk about it. Well, again, we're not telling you you need to talk. We're just saying you need to be together. We go through the loss of a loved one. We're not prepared to, to talk about that maybe yet. We go through the loss of a friendship. And so we will often isolate or whatever and and, and we have this happen all the time as pastors. This is something that I hear regularly. Well, Pastor Barr, we just really didn't want to bother you with that or bother any of the rest of the team or Pastor Randy or Kyle or anybody. We didn't want to bother you guys with that because we know that there are other people that are dealing with greater and bigger things. And we get that and we understand that. But here is what we also want you to know. We care about the things that are happening in your life too. So you got to be willing to let people know. you got to be willing to open up and make yourself vulnerable and let people know what's happening in your life. The, the fact of the matter is, is that we all need help. We all need someone to step in at one time or another. Your pastors have gone through grief and through loss. We have lost personally in the last two years. Pastor Randy has lost family personally in the last few years. We, we understand grief. We understand those kinds of things. We can't fix it all for you, but we get it. So friend loves at all times and was born to help in times of need. It's because we need each other. This week when Rick and I talked on the phone, I was just reminded again of how much we need each other. And how much God puts the right people at the right times together to minister 
and to just even just be there. And sometimes it is saying the right thing. God puts these things in our in our mouths and in our hearts. I have a good friend of mine that I really love a lot. This guy is a great friend of mine. And he's been through some serious pain and a lot of loss. And there have been marriage problems that he's had. There's been great financial hardship that he's had. He's lost a loved one that was incredibly close to him. And I've watched him go through all of this. And I've ached with him through this. And he knows this about himself, but he still continues to do it. And this is what he does because we will often do it. He isolates himself. And then I will be reminded of him by something. And then I will be quickened by the Lord to reach out to him. And so I reach out and I'll shoot him a text and check in on him. Or I'll maybe give him a call and and he often doesn't answer. And he'll call me back at another time. And then he will he will say, man, you know, this is what I do. I, uh, I kind of isolate and I, I'm struggling right now. And I'll say, well, let's go get coffee. Let's go sit down together for a while. And that's what we do. And I sit and I let him share and he pours his heart out to me. And he's, and he's struggling in the midst of all of it. And he's struggling so much. And then he always says this at the, at the end of our times. Because this is a habitual thing that I see in his life. As he isolates, he says this every time at the end. He says, I always feel so much better whenever I've talked with somebody about all of this. He said, do this? Why do I keep isolating? He said, man, I feel so much better. And I always say to him, I always say to him, I said, so and so, but that's because we need each other. And there have been times over this last year that you've been there for me and I needed you and you were there. And you're going through some stuff right now and you need me right now. You need me right now. And, and we share in a deeper kind of friendship there's this friendship that is called the fellowship of suffering. Where you're there for one another together. And we need people. We need fellowship. If you don't have a church home, we would love for you to be a part of our church. Amen, church? We welcome you here. And we want to walk with you through what you're going through. If you don't feel led here, I would urge you to find a church where you connect with, where you can walk with other people and do life. Because we need each other. I want to say this as we're closing. That if you're going through a crisis right now, I want you to let us know. We want to know about it. You can let us know. We have great people that pray for you every week. Our staff will pray for you as we get prayer updates. We have pastors that would love to minister to you. We have Stevens ministers that would love to come alongside you. And we're training even more of them. We'll be raising up more elders soon that can come alongside and minister to you. We have youth ministers, children's ministers. We have many of you who, if you're a part of EBC, we call you ministers. You're a minister. We have a number of people that would love to minister to you. When we first started the church... I'm just reminded of what Jesus said when he started his ministry. He said, we came to heal. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. We can't help you if you hold it in. We can't help you if you don't let other people in. We don't have, and I say this respectfully, and I don't mean to be joking about this, but it's the truth. We don't have a crystal ball over in the pastor's office that tells us about everything that's happening. The only way we know is that if you actually open up and let somebody know, you let somebody know what's going on. We want to walk with you through things. This church wants to be here for you. 
we close today, what I want to do is I want to pray for you today. That's not so unlike what we typically do at the end of the service, but what we're going to do today is different. I want to ask all of you to stand with me. If you'll all stand with me right now. Pastor Danny is going to come and begin to play some music, and here's what I want to say. As you are standing with me now, we're going to pray here in just a minute. And what I felt led to do with you this morning, this afternoon now for this service, is I know that there are a lot of people that are hurting in this church. And we're trying to get you to be open about it and real about it and acknowledge it and stop pretending. Some of you are going through grief. Some of you are, are just recognizing that you're grieving now and you're struggling. It could be a financial loss you've been through. It could be a spiritual loss. It could be that, that you've lost a loved one and you're still mourning that. Or maybe you've never really mourned it. Maybe it happened a while back. It's just now kind of hitting you. It could be a loss of a job. I don't even know. Maybe a loss of a marriage. Or something's happening in your kids' lives. I don't know what it is. I care. This morning, with everyone looking around, a lot of times we'll say nobody looking around, but with everyone looking around today, if you're struggling this morning and you are hurting and you are suffering and you're you're just you're wrestling right now, if you're one of the ones that's saying it's hard for me to sing it as well, it's hard for me to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. If that's you this morning, what I want to ask you to do very simply, I want to ask you just to sit down. I want to ask you to have a seat. You may sit as an individual. There may be some of you that sit as a family. You just sit. I want you to sit right now. And I want you to rest. There's symbolism in you sitting, okay? Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not striving anymore. I'm just resting in the presence of the Lord. Now, those of you who are still standing... You are the ones that are going to take the initiative. And I want you, I want you to just look around and I want you to see those that are seated around you. I want you just to look. You may know some of them. You may, you may not know them. You may know what's going on. You may not know what's going on. You don't need to say anything, right? You just need to show up in their lives. What we're going to do is we're going to pray over these and those of you that are seated, we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to come over to you and, like, bop you in the head and try to heal you or anything like that, okay? We just want to be your family. Can we be your family for you today? And there are tears that are already being shed in this place and have been shed in every service, and that's okay. That's what this is for, right? We've got to catch this, church. That's what this is for. So I'm going to pray. There's some of you that are going to be led by the Spirit of God to move to those who are seated. Those who are seated, every one of them needs somebody to come to them and to put their, their hand on their shoulder, to be with them. You don't have to know what's going on. And I want to begin to ask you now to begin just praying for them. So I want you to begin to move to those that need prayer this morning. I want you to find them, and I want you to go to them. And you may hold their hand. You don't need to say anything. 
that you are going to you're going to pray over them and you're going to let them know that they are not alone and ministry and healing is going to begin to happen God, these brothers and sisters who are seated before you, they have lost something in some cases. God, they have lost someone that is very dear. Lord, they are bowed down with grief and with sadness and with shock. We don't tell them to get over it. We don't tell them, God, to try to figure out what's going on. Lord, it was something that has just left them devastated, and they are hurting. God, they are acknowledging their pain before you and before their brothers and sisters in Christ today. And Lord, this is a holy moment because their grief and their pain, it matters to you. Lord, it matters to us, their church. We don't push it aside. We don't want them to have to try to pretend. We want them to feel like they can be real in our presence. So, Father, we pray for them today. We lift them up before you, God. We share in their pain. We want to continue, Lord, not just praying for them today, but stepping into their lives and taking initiative ministering to them. I pray that that as their neighbors, Lord, we would stand here as community around them, as we hold their hands, as we hug their necks, as we walk with them, as our hands are on their shoulders in support. May healing begin, Lord, in their lives. May they begin to be able to grieve in a healthy manner. Lord, your word tells us that we plant in tears Many of us have cried and cried. Lord, we have planted buckets of tears. You have seen every one of them. You have numbered every one. Lord, your word also tells us that we will eventually be able to harvest with shouts of joy. Lord, may your peace begin to settle in in these who are hurting. May they be able to come to a place, Lord, if not today, in the coming days where they sing, it is well with my soul. Lord, may you begin to remove bitterness from our hearts and anger. May we not be consumed by that, stress or anxiety. Replace it with your joy and with your peace. I'm so thankful for this holy time before you, God. This is to be a house of prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the hope that we have. And it's in the powerful name of our Savior.